And so, God, all the praise goes to you this morning. We pray that you'd open up our eyes to a greater glimpse of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Shorter Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In other words, you and I were created for really one thing alone. That is to worship God. Your soul's greatest delight is found in one place alone, worshiping your God. This is why God has you and I on this earth. And yet if you're like me, and isn't it easy to find that, that worship is one of the disciplines that seems to take backstage in our own lives at times? We're, we're so good at, at being disciplined in the word of God. We're so good at being disciplined in our prayer time. But when it comes to worship, isn't it sort of relegated to the third thing on our agendas in our relationship with God? And yet primarily God has us on this earth to worship him. Here's the truth as we live our lives in 2018 in Canada. We can get so busy that we forget to stop and thank and worship and praise God, can't we? We can get so preoccupied with the things that God hasn't done in our lives that we stop to forget and worship him for all the things he has done in our lives. We can get so consumed with serving God, uh, for, we can forget that everything that's done in our lives is accomplished by him and for him. Worship is the most satisfying reality of the Christian life. Do you get that? Worship is the most satisfying reality of the Christian life. If your Christian life just becomes about ask, 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 you end up treating God like a cosmic butler and you miss the glory of who he is. If your Christian life just revolves around do, 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 you end up trying to somehow earn the favor of God and you miss out on the wonder that God has already accepted you in the reality of his son. When you spend your life, though, praise, 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 you put yourself in a proper posture to see God and experience the fullness of God in your life. Worship is what we're created for, and this is what... Uh, the psalmist David is telling us in Psalm 145, the subtitle of this is, Great is the Lord. This is the last of David's uh, psalms that he wrote, as, last, as well as the last psalm that's in the, 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 the acrostic psalms. The acrostic psalms are the ones that, that start with a Hebrew letter, the letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and the English alphabet. It goes down, and every verse starts with, with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in sequence. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, 21 in this, in this book. Why is that? Because in Hebrew, for some reason, they always choose to skip uh, the letter none. But irregardless, this is where we find ourselves with this theme, this overwhelm, overwhelming theme of Psalm 145, great is the Lord. Interesting, I think this is the last psalm that David wrote. And the theme that he can only come up with in the last moments of his life is how great is God, emphasizing the common grace that God has for all mankind, but especially the saving grace and the special grace that God has for his people. If you think about the life of David, this is a, a kind of an unusual, maybe, theme for the last, his last hurrah when it comes to songwriting. 
Think over David's life. David had a lot of things happen to him. And one of the things that you don't think about often is that his life wasn't easy. We think these Bible characters are the ones that, man, they had it all together. They had the easy life. They had the glory of God was on the, upon them every moment of every day. And, and nothing went wrong in their lives. But that wasn't David's life at all. David was a regular guy who simply encountered a radical God. Think over David's life with me. And then, then you get the significance of the summary of his life being the theme, great is our God. Remember David? He was a little shepherd boy who rose to national prominence. Started out tending sheep, became the harp bearer of, the harp player of the king. In the process of all that, he killed Goliath, married the king's daughter, became best friends with the king's son. Thought he hit the pinnacle of everything only to fall a long way. Remember, committed adultery and had his mistress's husband murdered and Because of that sin, he lost his own son. He buried his own son. Then Absalom, his other son, turned on him and hunted him down, wanted to kill him. And Saul was after him seven years, running from Saul, only to be restored again and to make a big blunder at the end of his life. Remember, God said, don't count the people. Put your trust in me. David's like, I'm going to count them anyways. 70,000 of his own died because of his mistake. And yet at the end, God still says he was a man after his own heart. David looks looking back over his whole life and he's like, hey, I only am who I am. I only am where I'm I only am where I am because of one reality, because how great is our God. It's the reality of every life that is found in Jesus Christ. Somehow we fool ourselves into thinking it's about us, and somehow we accomplish things and we've earned our salvation, but every life could really pen this. Psalm at the end of their life, one theme, one theme stands alone. At the end of the world, one theme is going to stand alone. How great is our God? I'm not going to read the whole psalm for you word for word just out of time's sake, but I'm just going to pick and part um, the whole thing through different, different verses and show you this one theme of celebrating the praise of our God. Psalm 145, verses 1 and 2. Let me read this for you as we start Great is the Lord, a psalm of praise of David. I'll extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing you can write in your notes. Think about celebration of praise. My King is the greatest. My king is the greatest. This is, this is the king of Israel, like giving praise to the king, God himself. And we see in this, the first few verses, that David is a man who lived his life with a soul that's been captivated by his God. Look at this. I will extol you, my God and king. Look at this. I will. It's a choice. It's a choice David made his whole life long. It's a choice he made at the end of his life to pledge allegiance to praising, to pledge allegiance to the king, to praise the king. Sometimes we think that worship is something that happens within us according to a mood that we're in or a circumstance that, we're, that we find ourselves in or, or, or somebody else putting a positive upon our lives. But here's what worship is. Ultimately, worship is a choice that we make to pledge allegiance to the king. Think about your life with me for a moment. Everything that you do in life is a result, is a result of a choice that you've made. Life is a series of choices that you make that determine the direction that you go. 
You wake up in the morning, you determine what time you're going to wake up. You're going to wake up your half an hour before you have to get out the door so you can get your quiet time in. You're going to wake up right on time so you can get out the door. What are you going to wear today? Are you going to wear you know, your, your nice clothes? Are you going to wear your grubbies? Who are you going to hang out with today? Where are you going to spend your time and your money and your resources? How are you going to respond to the different situations that happen in your life? Everything is about choices. Here's the greatest choice you can make in your life. Choosing to, like David, determine that I will, no matter what circumstances, no matter what mood, no matter what people say, I will praise the Lord. I will worship my king. Worship is a choice that we make, not a response that comes arbitrarily through circumstances. Every person in life has a choice that they make. You have a choice that you're making every day. Are you going to walk through life with your hands in your pockets, nonchalantly towards God? Or are you going to walk through life with your arms up in praise to the God who made you, the God who saved you? Are you going to run through life so busy, consumed with all the things going on around you that you're so horizontally focused that you forget to lift your eyes up to the heavens? Or are you going to walk through life with your gaze towards God more than the things of this earth? You can go throughout your life standing in pride and arrogance that, that somehow you're a self-made man or a self-made woman or you're going to bow before God recognize that you are who you are because of his mercy and grace. Worship is a choice. It's a discipline. It's the duty and the delight of the believer. This is really what David's trying to get across to us here in Psalm 145. He uses words Verse 1, I will extol you, my God. It's a, it's a word to evoke, not just tell us, hey, you need to praise, but to evoke praise within our hearts. Extol means to tell God how great he is. When was the last time you stopped just to extol the Lord? I will bless you, he says in verses 1 and 2 and 10 and 21. You can circle these words, extol and bless what, what does it mean to bless God? I thought, I thought God blessed us. Doesn't, doesn't God bless us? Yes, he, he, he does because he's so good. Here's how we bless God, by telling others how good he is. It blesses the heart of God. It brings a smile to the face of God. That's actually an act of worship. Also in verse 2 and 3 and 21, I'll praise you to glorify God for his magnificent qualities. Verse 4, I'll commend you. To speak highly of God, I'll declare or I'll proclaim the reality of God. I'll meditate, I will think about God. We can think about so many things in this life, can't we? I'll, I'll think about God and let God be the predominant thought of my heart and mind. I will speak openly and freely, verse 6. I will put forth, verse 7. I will sing aloud. We worship through song, verse 7. I will give thanks Verse 10, here's what David's trying to do in as many creative ways as possible to light a fire in our hearts for a lifestyle of worship. Worship isn't just the hour you put in on a Sunday morning in church. Worship is the trajectory of our heart towards a reality of God, amen? And worship's a lifestyle. Worship's not a compartment of our faith. Worship is our faith. It's what God created us to not even do, but to be. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says about worship. Doth not all nature around me praise God? If I were silent, 
I should be an exception to the universe. Doth not the thunder praise him as it rolls like drums in the march of the God of armies? Do not the mountains praise him when the woods upon their summits wave in adoration? Doth not the lightning write his name in letters of fire? Hath not the whole earth a voice? And shall I, can I be silent? I think so often we get so busy striving to hear from God, striving to do something for God that we forget to stop and simply worship God. And you have a reason to worship today. Every one of us has a reason to worship today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the greatest reason you have to worship God is that God in his mercy saw you in all your wickedness and all your sin and all your rebellion. He chose to, 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 to grab a hold of your life and, and you're, you're on your trajectory to hell. He chose to pick you up and put you on the trajectory to heaven and to behold the glory of God. That's reason to worship today no matter how hard of a year you've had. No matter how bad your week was last week, you have a reason to worship God. In him is life and life abundant. Every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from the Father above. It's interesting that in the Jewish practice, Psalm 145 was recited twice in the morning and once in the evening every single day. often think sometimes we, we look down upon the Jewish people for their practices. It's all religious ritual, but yet, can you imagine how, the, how even the trajectory of your mind and your heart would change if you stopped to every day remember the reasons you have to worship God? Wouldn't that change the way you see life in the world? Let me encourage you with this before we go on to point number two here. Worship changes everything. Worship changes everything. Worship gives God the credit that's due God. Worship and extolling the Lord frees your heart from self-absorption to God-glorification and God-exaltation. Praise reminds you who's in charge and takes the, the burden off of yourself as you walk through life. And praise really cures what ails you. Worship lifts your souls to the heights of heavens, of the heavens and the things of earth get overwhelming. Worship reminds you what life is all about and who is truly the only one that's great and worth worshiping. Worship simply tells God that you're thankful for who he is and what he's been doing in your life. Here's three words you should never stop uttering in your life as often as you can remember. Thank you, God. That's worship. When things are great, thank you, God. When things are the worst, thank you, God, that I still have you. Verses 1 and 2 kind of set up the whole idea of worship. And every day, 
making this part of your lifestyle, verses 3 to 13 really kind of summarize for us the reason we have to worship God within his character. The rest of the chapter from 14 to the very, verse 14 to the very end show us the reasons we have to worship God for what he does in our lives. So let's, let's, let's just go along with the text and grab our minds around the reality of how great God really is and why he is worthy of our worship. Second thing you can write in your notes here is this, my king reigns supreme. Why do we worship God? Why do we, why do we take time out of our days to, to, to get quiet with him in our time with the word and pray? Why do we encourage others to know Jesus? Why do we come to church? Because our king is worthy of our worship and he reigns supreme. Verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Great is the Lord. There's no one higher, no, no one stronger. He rules all other kings. The greatness of our God is incomprehensible. We often use the word awesome to describe God, but we used it last night to describe the pizza we had as well. Pizza last night was awesome. God is also awesome. We sort of somehow have lost the reality, the supremacy of God, I think, in our culture. And you guys watched those Telefrancais videos when you were kids? Nobody just in Ontario? They used to have this song that would be like, sensational, formidable, magnifique, excellent, talking about French. And we'd sing it with enthusiasm, but yet really, really, those words only describe one. It's God himself. God is the greatest in the whole universe. And look at this, God is king. I'll extol you, my God and King. Here's what makes God awesome. Truly, the only one worthy of that word. Here's what makes him awesome. He is the King over everything. He's King of the cosmos. He's the one that set the world in place and holds it there, sustains it. He's the King of all of creation. Everything you see around you came from God and is sustained by God. He's the king of his community, God's people. Your, your pastor is ultimately not the leader of the people. It's God who's king. And God is king of every individual heart of those who put their hope in Jesus Christ. God is king. Look at this. He says, God is my king. God just isn't the king. God is my king. Try and wrap your minds around that for a second. The king is also my king. He's personal. He's intimate. You know those t-shirts that we wear, property of the Ottawa Rough Riders or Toronto Argonauts? Well, peel apart every Christian Exterior and inside you'll have a stamp, property of the king, upon your heart. Reason to praise God in your life. He's close, he's personal. Look at his greatness. It says here is unsearchable. No one can comprehend the thoughts of God. No words can describe the totality of God. Songs don't do justice to God. No one knows the limit to his power, the extent of his goodness, the magnitude of his love. His ways are unsearchable. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. God is so vast and so magnificent, we can't even fully comprehend him. I love how Francis Chan puts it. You can never exaggerate God. You can never exaggerate God. That's what Psalm 86 says to describe the reality of who he is. Let these words sink in your heart today. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. 
nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. There is one God, there is one God, and he is our God. Look at some of the characteristics of God that David is drawing out for us in the first half of this beautiful psalm. Verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty. This is describing the glorious splendor of God. Why do we praise God? Because of the glorious splendor of his majesty. God is breathtakingly beautiful. It's hard to picture God, right? Because you can't see God. He's spirit. But, but yet the Bible calls, calls him glorious and, and majestic and beautiful. Here's the reality. If you've ever, have you ever seen the beautiful rainbow after the wicked storm? You've caught a glimpse of your God. If you've ever been in the mountains and seen the pink sky at night, sailors delight over the mountains and the stillness of the mountains, if you ever stop there and wonder and awe, wow, it's unbelievable. There's no words to describe it. You've caught a glimpse, just a glimpse of the glory of your God. Have you ever woken up to a crystal clear lake and watching the sun rise over the lake and you're standing beside your best friend or your spouse and you're just like, We just stood there in silence of like, wow. You've caught just a glimpse of the majesty of your God. God is gloriously splendid. God is infinitely strong, it says in verses 6 and 11. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, it says in verse 11, and tell of your power. Your God is infinitely strong. You see in the news, I'm a news junkie, so I'm on the news every day, and all the world powers trying to claim they're the most powerful. You know, King, King, King Jung, somebody or other from over in North Korea, and Trump on the other, you know, jockeying for position. You know what? You take all the powerful nations of this earth with all their powerful armies. You take all the muscle men that can, you know, move transports. You know those guys that do those? You take all those guys, put them together, and guess what? They can't topple God. They're like a little chihuahua barking at your ankles. God's like, what? It's like a mosquito trying to get, take you down with a flick. God is infinitely powerful. Look at verse 7. God is notoriously famous. They shall pour forth the name, the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. God is infinitely famous. We've been around long enough to know that the world is trying to rid the name of God from this earth and guess what they will never accomplish it even people who don't believe in God swear by God as their highest authority why because he is the highest authority He is revered above all people. He is feared as the only one able to kill the body and the soul. God is notoriously famous. We're still talking about all of his mighty deeds from the Old Testament Noah's ark Elijah seeing fire come from heaven, the parting of the Red Sea. Scripture is being fulfilled because even people who don't believe in God know those stories. They may pass them off as myths, but we can't escape the fame of God. Look at verses 7, to seven and 9. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. 
And so sing of your righteousness. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. Even those who don't believe in God have the common grace of God to be made in the image of God and to be able to sustain themselves on this earth. And his mercy is over all that he has made. God is perfectly good. You realize there's not an evil part of God. Evil and God are incompatible. It's impossible. God's never woken up on the wrong side of bed. He's never had an evil desire in his heart that he needs to repent of. God is good all the time and all the time. He's awesome. That's the greatest way we see God's goodness and God's greatness is is in his grace and his mercy. What's grace? Grace is he gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy, he doesn't give us what we do deserve. Where's God's goodness and grace and mercy? So evident, it's on the cross, right? So evident, we are sinners deserving of punishment, deserving of, of eternal separation. God gave us his only son. You know the gospel, right? We can't get tired of hearing about this. God gave us his only son to stand there and take our place. He to turn his wrath towards sinners into kindness, his propitiation. God's goodness and his mercy reign forever. He is, instead of being quick to drop the gavel of judgment on our lives, we all deserve it, this guy too. Instead of guilt, guilt, guilty, guilty, he, he's just waiting, he's like, repent, 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 and he's so quick to not slam the gavel down upon your life, but instead give you the pardon of his son, when you repent of your sin. God's mercy reigns. Think of your own life in the past year, how God's mercy has reigned upon you and his goodness. Those times where he should have been blowing his top because you did walk willfully into sin and, and instead God's patiently calling you home and calling you to return to him because he loves you. Even on your worst days, even in your worst moments, God's grace and mercy fall upon you and I. Look at verse 13, the last one that points out his greatness. You get in a sense of why we ought to worship the Lord with all of our hearts. Look at verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. God's not just the king now. He's not just the king in our lifetime. He's the king forever. He's the eternal king. We don't have to sit back here and like, oh, there's four years, an election coming. Oh, my goodness, who's going to be king next time, next election? We already know. We don't have to stress it. We don't have to worry about God is king. He's going to be king in four years and 40 years and 400 years and 4,000 years and 400,000 years and 4 million years and 4 billion years and 4 trillion years. For all of eternity, who is king? God's king. God is awesome. God is awe-inspiring. God is amazing. Brothers and sisters, if this doesn't somehow fire you up for the things of God, check your spiritual pulse. You might not have one. How can you read Psalm 145 and not see this picture of God and, and, and not be like, oh man, can we sing another song now? Can I fall on my knees and just stop preaching, pastor? I just want to worship right now. Isn't he awesome? John Piper says this, if you don't see the greatness of God, then all things that money can buy can become very exciting. 
If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with the streetlight. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and the majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. Greatness of our God. When was the last time you stopped and you were speechless, not because of anything that God has done for you or not because of, of what you seem to do in someone else's life, just, just because he's God? Psalm 86 tells us to praise him with our whole hearts. When is the last time you were just so consumed with the reality of God, you had tears in your eyes and a lump in your throat, and you had nothing coming out of your lips, just out of your heart was emanating a, wow, God! More glorious than words can ever comprehend, mind can comprehend in words, can ever articulate. Don't forget, brothers and sisters, as you walk through this life, that God is greater than all of your hopes and all of your dreams, the Canadian dream, whatever that is, God's greater than that. God is greater than all your successes and all of your accolades and all of your disappointments and all of your discouragements and all of the, the, the mess of your life. What God is greater than all of these things. I encourage you this week as you do your devotions to not just get up and Tell God what's on your heart and try and listen for his voice. That's important. But take some time to stop and worship. My wife tells me this often when I get in that place of, you know, negativity or I get a little bit down. She's like, well, just stop and worship then. When was the last time you really worshipped? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you really worshipped? first 15, 20 minutes of your quiet time, just stop to say, God, show me again. A glimpse of your glory. Remind me again of a characteristic of who you are that separates and puts you here and the rest of us over here. Fill my heart with gratitude and awe again. Make tears flow from my face, just being caught up in the reality of my God. It's a life changer. God's a life changer. We are put on this earth to glorify him and enjoy his presence forever. Starts with knowing who he is. If you don't know who, Jesus, who, you don't know, don't know who God is, it starts with knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus who opens you up to the full reality of God. The second half of this song goes on to tell us that we don't just worship God for who he is. We worship God because his acts are unparalleled. Yes, we worship him for, for his character and his qualities that are so different than ours, but we also worship God because his acts are unparalleled. David here now from verses 14 to 21 just stops to remember all the goodness of God, the ways that he's seen God act in his life. And again, don't forget, David shouldn't even be in the Bible according to the, if we're looking at, you know, the holiness of life, by the way, you know, we try and think that all Christians are perfectly good and they never do anything wrong. David even shouldn't be in the Bible if that's the case with the list I gave you before. But yet he is. Why? Because God has acted so mightily in his life. God is a God who acts in the lives of his people. God doesn't just save us and say, now, 
good luck on your trek to heaven. God continually acts in our lives in ways that can only be attributed to him. We see this throughout the whole Old and New Testament in the lives of his people as a community. Think of even the Israelites, the way that they saw him work. But also in individual lives. The lives of his people as individuals. Look what it says at the end of verse 13. The Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all his, faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. I almost picture this psalm as a psalm that David's going like, oh man, how do I summarize my life? Kind of the, the, the last kind of will and testament. How do I summarize my life? How can I put into words all the things that I've seen God do and, and just a, a gratitude overflowing in his heart? Look at some of the things that he does in David's life. Verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. I think David's remembering the times in his life when, remember the old commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. Remember that commercial? I think David's remembering those times when he's fallen and he can't get up. And again, I try and put myself in the biblical characters' lives as they wrote these things. Think of Think with me, David, the amount of times David fell, like sin. He fell hard. I'm sure there's times in his sin that he's like, man, I'm never going to recover from this. Lonely nights on the run. Like, God, give me a reason to wake up in the morning. I don't have one right now. But every time David fell, God picked him up. Look at verse 18. He looked after his every need. The Lord is near. To all who call upon him, and he, all who call upon him in truth. That's not, I have my glasses on, 16. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. You think you have needs. Think of the needs David had for the years that he was running. Some scholars think seven years on the run from, from Saul and Absalom. In other words, he was fending for himself. He didn't know where his next, not his next paycheck was going to come from. He didn't know where his next meal was going to come from. He was living off the land. Who provided for him every single meal? There was times in the Bible where David was acting like a crazy man just to get a loaf of bread. At the end of his life, he says, you know what? I was fed every day because the Lord, the Lord opened his hand and eyes, Lord, and in due season he gave me all of my food. He opened his hand and satisfied the desires of my heart with everything. He satisfies our deepest longings. What do you think David's longest, deepest longing was as he walked through life? Long, lonely, wilderness nights, anxiety, strife. Tonight be the night they're going to get me, catch me. Well, God met his every desire. Look at verse 17. He always does me right. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. If I'm David, I'm looking back over my life and I'm like, really, does God always do me right? How did that work? Burying a son running from another, isolated, misunderstood, discouraged. Here's the reality David realized, that every time he thought he was taking a step backwards, it was a step forwards in God's eyes. God's ways are higher than ours, and it says in Romans 8 that he always does us good. He works together for good all those who love him. Now we get to verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. 
all who call upon him in truth. He's never far off. He's always within arm's reach, within earshot. So when David thought he probably wasn't there, he was. He always comes to my rescue, verse 19. cries and he saves them. God's not a God who's distant from his people's pain. It's like sometimes when my kids think they're talking among themselves in a room, they don't realize that dad has big ears and mom used to be a teacher. We hear everything in our house. And they're whispering among themselves and you show up and you're like, what are you talking about, kids? Like, dad, how did you hear? I know, I got that internal sense that something's up. God is always near. He always hears the cries of his people. In verse 20, he preserves all who love him. In other words, he gets them where they need to be every step of the way. Here's David's testimony. God has guarded me and guided me. He goes before me. He surrounds me. He comes after me with his presence. Isaiah 41, I think, applies to not just David, but every believer in God, every follower of Jesus Christ, this is our confidence that we are his servants. He has chosen us and has not cast us off. There is now nothing to fear for he is with us. We need not be dismayed for he is our God and he promises to strengthen us, to help us, to uphold us with his righteous right hand. To lead us by the hand every step of the way. realize this as believers, we put a lot of stock in what God does and what God gives us. Do you realize this, that God is our greatest gift? God is our greatest gift. This is what David's telling us. He's like, in all these things in my whole life, my, my ups and my downs and my all-arounds, I had one thing that mattered most. I had God. And he is all I needed. I had God and he is all I needed. Do you realize that every one of these things that were true of God in David's life are true of God in your life and my life as well? Every one of these things is not just David's testimony, it's our testimony as believers. That's why we worship, why we praise, why we adore our God, why we hold to him, why we wouldn't trade him for anybody or anything in the world because this is our God. Think about your last week, your last month, your last year, your last five years. Think of all the times that God has held you up. Think of all the times that God has held you up. Think of all those weary moments where you're like, God, I'm just going to throw in the towel now. I can't do it anymore. And you throw in the towel only to find God throwing it back at you and saying, keep going, keep going. I will hold you up. Think of all those times you messed up. And you didn't think you could get up. And God pulled you up and held you up. This is your God. A few weeks ago, we went um, to visit my wife's family who live in Quebec in, in Montreal. And we went fishing for a day. So we rented a little boat with a little motor on the back. And uh, Zach and I and Grandma went fishing while the other ones did who knows what. And then we came and got them at the end of the day for a, a boat ride. And so at the end of the day, Nick, our youngest, was so tired that he was sitting in his little life jacket in the boat. And, and he's got the chin up here, but you can see his eyes going, you know, and just so tired. And I look over once when I'm steering the boat. And you're looking back at the motor. I look over, and he's like, grabbed his life jacket and sat him back up. And I'm like, oh, gotcha, buddy, you know. And he's like, that's dad. 
look, look over again and kind of watching the, the, the waves, whatever, and second time, like, right back. And I reached over to grab him, and I missed him, but my wife got her arms right underneath his, right before his head hit the bottom of the boat and pulled him back up, and he's kind of got that little look again. He's like, whoa, what happened? You know, thanks, Mom. And for the rest of the boat ride, I'm like, Ruth, just keep your hand on his back. Don't let him fall picture of how God in our worst moments in our tired moments when we fall and God's always there just before our head hits the bottom he grabs us and he picks us up and then he holds us for the duration of our lives this is a picture of God he looks after our every need we live in a land of opulence David had needs. I don't know need like David had, but we've had our needs. Here's the reality. Think about your own life. God has always provided for your needs, has he not, your physical needs? You're here today, so you have food in your belly. You have clothes on your back. You probably have a home to go to. God always provides for the needs of his people. I sometimes think in our country, we forget that God looks after every needs because we confuse our needs from our wants. God has looked after all my needs. I still want. And yet you look at your life and God looks after your needs. I read in this past couple weeks that uh, uh, one of the rich scales in the world on a website, do you realize this, that if you make a salary of $32,400 a year in Canada, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world? If you make 32.4, you're in the top 1% of earners in the world. God has surely provided for your needs. Who gave you your job? Who sustained you? It's the Lord has. Give him praise today. God's also satisfied your every longing. Everything that your soul has longed for, God has satisfied in himself. God always does right by you. He always does right. We don't understand why God does the things he does. In the last couple weeks, I've been sitting beside a hospital bed of somebody who's dying, and I don't understand why God does the things that he does and how he does them and when he does them. I don't get it, but I do know this, that God always does right by us. Every time you think that God made a mistake in your life, you can think again because God doesn't make those in our lives. Everything that happens is for our ultimate good. It draws us nearer to God. It draws us to the end of ourselves and the beginning of God. And it's for his glory that God's glory might be revealed in your life. Even those things that you think that God can never turn around for good. God always does right by us in our lives. He's never been far off. He's never been far off. Hebrews, he will never leave you or forsake you. God will never leave you or forsake you. He will always hear your cries. He listens to the cries of his people. In, in our house, we can distinguish cries really quickly of which kid is crying and if it's ours or if it's not ours. You hear a kid crying in our neighborhood and you're like, oh, it's not ours, that's okay. But if it's ours, what do you do as a parent? I'm, a, I'm not a great dad, I try my best, but I'm not a perfect dad like we have in heaven. What do you do? You're out the door looking for that kid and you're picking him up and you're like, I'm here, son. Or, here, honey, I'm here. God never misses one of your cries. Psalm 56 tells you that when you're in the middle of the night, we're tossing and turning. He's actually keeping track. He's by your bed, keeping track of your tossings. He's collecting your tears in a bottle. That's how cherished you are to your God. 
What about this one? He is rescuing me continually. It wasn't just David who needs a rescue continually. It's us who need a rescuing continually. We sometimes think salvation is our rescue and then God just kind of checks out until we get to heaven. That's not the case at all. God is constantly rescuing us, constantly stepping in and saving us from ourselves, from our own sin, from circumstances. God is constantly our rescue. Over and over and over and over and over, he never gets tired of rescuing his people. Think over this past year how many times God has rescued you in your life. Those mistakes you've made are like, I've done it now, God. There's no change in this. It's all over. God's like, oh, my foolish child, I can change this. And he's picked you up and rescued you again. Or those times in the middle of the night where you're so overwhelmed, you're like, God, I can't. I can't do it. You have to do something, God. You have to get me through this night. You have to get me up in the morning. You have to do something. And, and yet God shows up in just the right time, in just the right, right way to rescue you. And defend your life until the very end. The moment you meet God is the very moment that God's designed you to meet him. He will defend you until the very end. He is our shelter and our refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. God gets you where you need to be every time at just the right time. How many times have you thought you missed the bus of God's plan for your life only to find out that you're... The bus came at just the right time and stopped at every one of the right stops. You sometimes don't see that until the end. But looking back, you're like, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Looking back, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm glad I didn't get the bus that I thought. I'm glad I got the bus that God had ordained because it's exactly where I was supposed to be at exactly the right time for the purposes and the glory of God. God's our defender. God has come through for you and I in countless ways. He's real. He's faithful. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. And he will never, never, never let you go. You are here because of God's goodness in your lives. Your church is here because of God's grace and God's goodness. This is only here because of God. God is the one who keeps us afloat. God is our anchor in every storm. He is our guide at every turn. He is our protector. When the enemies come for us, and they come, they come. He's the author of every salvation and every baptism and every time your sin has been restored and broken. And every time we come up against the wall of opposition, God gets us through. And God gets us through. And so we rejoice and we worship. How do we respond to all these things about who God is. I don't have like, here's five points. Now you run out of here, you do this, 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 and this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to run out of here and just let your heart be overwhelmed with the goodness of God. I want you to run out of here and determine that, that, that this hour in church is not going to be your only worship service this week. You're going to worship him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. With all the breath that you have, worship the Lord. I pray you'll leave here determined to not take God for granted. I'll take his blessings for granted. And instead, live your life in a way that others will also see a picture of this glorious God that we have in Psalm 145. Isn't he awesome? Let's keep that word just for God as God's people. Only God's awesome. Let's worship him as the worship team comes. 
for the greatness of who he is. Let me pray. Father, we want to stop at the end of this service and just say, how awesome you are. God, thank you for showing us a glimpse of who you are. Thank you, God, for reminding us of all the ways that you work in our lives. Thank you, God, for, for, for showing us that the greatest endeavor we can aim for in this life is simply to worship you. It's not to ask you for things. It's not even to do things for you. It's to worship you. And everything flows from a heart of worship and adoration of our God. Father, would you fill our minds with a greater glimpse of who you are? Would you fill our hearts with a greater adoration for your name and your son? And would God, you let our lives be a reflection of the glory of God as we live for your fame, the fame of your name alone. Oh God, cause us to be a people who truly worship, not superficially, not selfishly, but truly worship you, oh God. May we get our eyes off of ourselves. May we get our eyes off of our circumstances. May we feast our eyes on our God. Fill us with hearts of gratitude and hearts of worship today, God. And even lead us to tears that are so overwhelming, God, that we can't even contain the fullness of expression that we offer you as worship and as praise and as a sign of our love for you. In Jesus' name.